0: Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. I spent uh, half a day Friday at Camp Gilead at the uh, Gilead board meeting. Uh, for those of you that are aware of our, our camp, we you know, we send kids there uh, predominantly in the summer. And, and uh, Gilead is an independent ministry, but it has about 30 member churches like ours. We're one of those churches. And... And the board members are elected from those churches. And uh, I, I began attending camp when I was in fifth grade. And so my history with Camp Gilead goes way back. And uh, this church was part of uh, Gilead back then in a little different way. But, uh, you know, I made, uh, I made some friends there at camp. One of them I'm still friends with. He lives here in the county. We're, we're currently working on a ministry project together. Um, met a lot of great people there over the years. When I was uh, young, uh, the whole idea of a youth group and a, a youth pastor and so on was kind of in its infancy. And so a lot of churches didn't do a lot of what we typically think of as, as youth ministry, um, nothing like what we're doing here in our church. And so going to camp once a year was just the highlight of my year uh, as a as a young person. You know, the teaching of God's Word spoke to me in a unique way and, and I just loved going to going to camp every year. But being on the board isn't quite so much fun. First of all, I have to drive ninety miles on Friday morning through the tail end of the rush hour to get to the camp. And if I time it just right as I did this week, I get to drive ninety miles home through the evening rush hour on Friday. And then there's the blessing of trying to figure out how we can raise another $180,000 so we can replace our septic system. And after that, trying to find a way to raise $500,000 to replace some of our archaic buildings. And along the way, there's a host of small decisions to discuss and to pray over and to implement. Not really my idea of a fun day three times a year, (laughs) but easily, easily worth the blessing. Easily worth the blessing of hearing reports from our kids who go to camp. Easily worth the blessing of seeing our kids go and learn to serve and to learn to grow up in ministry as they serve at camp. And especially easy to do in light of the occasional testimony that we have heard here of kids getting saved at camp. Uh, There are things in the Christian life that are challenging but they yield great blessing and as we come to Matthew 5 we're going to look at one of those as Jesus continues his definition of authentic christianity please follow as i read from Matthew 5 and seeing the multitudes he went up on a mountain and when he had when he was seated when he was seated his disciples came to him then he opened his mouth and taught them saying blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Today we're focusing on verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers... For they shall be called the sons of God. The peacemakers. The first few of these uh, uh, verses that we've come to call the Beatitudes or the literally the happy uh, blessings um, focus on our inward relationship with God and how we see ourselves and how we connect with God. This one uh, especially focuses on how we act in the world. And he says. The person who is happy, the word blessed literally means happy. The person who is happy is a peacemaker. A peacemaker. And I just want to start today by by emphasizing this truth. Peacemakers know the blessing of peace with God. They know how great it is to be at peace with God. Every once in a while, very rarely... I do something that creates a little bit of distance between me and my wife. Now, I know that's hard to believe, but it does happen. And frankly, there's nothing worse than distance between you and your loved one. And there's nothing better than a close, comfortable relationship. And when God talks about us being peacemakers, first of all, we need to know the blessing of what it's like to be at peace with God. And Colossians 1 talks about that blessing when it says, You who were once alienated, you were distant, you were far away, and you were enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. God uses this this imagery of of nations, the idea of being an alien, of being in a foreign country, of being an enemy in warfare. And he says, "That's, that's how big the gap used to be between you and God. And he says, but God, God reached down and reconciled. God reconciled, God brought us back together. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. I want to look through Romans 8 and see what some of the blessings of that peace with God are, of that reconciliation of being brought back together with him. Romans chapter 8 talks about how great it is to have a relationship with God, to have sin forgiven. And we start there in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but instead they walk according to the Spirit. The Apostle Paul has been talking about sin and salvation in the early chapters of Romans, and then he talks about the believer who struggles with sin. And so both in the context of salvation and of the believer who is struggling with sin, he said there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. When we think of how does God relate to the the person who has believed in Christ, he says there's no condemnation. I received a, a traffic ticket once while I was driving to a fire call when I was a firefighter. And I was at least partially guilty of what I was accused of. But in the end, the charge was dropped, and I said, yes! The condemnation was removed. Now, honestly, I did deserve at least part of it. I was under condemnation, and then it was removed, and my burden lifted God says when we put our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, that he takes our condemnation off of us. We are under condemnation from God until we believe. I know it's real popular in a lot of circles to talk about how God loves everybody and and, and so on. And the truth is, God says the relationship that he has with those who are still sinners, who have never believed in Christ, who have never had their sin forgiven, he says that enemy is like an enemy, or that relationship is an enemy kind of relationship. And so the first and foremost blessing of peace with God is the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. Because when our sin is forgiven, we can be close to God. There's nothing between us and Him. The condemnation is removed. And then that removal of condemnation, the forgiveness of sin, results in a second blessing that's spoken of in verse 15. And I've called that a relationship of love. Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive, when you believed in Christ, you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The word Abba is a translation of an of a ancient word that really, we, in English we would say the word Daddy. You know, uh, when a child comes into a, A father's presence do they stand at attention and say oh most high and exalted father or do they go daddy daddy when he comes home from work that's what he's talking about he says when we believed in Christ the Holy Spirit came into us we don't have to fear God anymore he is our heavenly daddy and it doesn't mean that we don't respect him and honor him and so on, but the relationship is one of love. Uh, Wednesday night, after Awana, the grandkids came to the door and they looked in. and I think they've been trained to look before they run because sometimes there's people in there and we're doing something serious. And they looked in and they go, yeah, come on in. And Kylie trotted right over, right up to me. Because she knows the candy bag's right there. <laughs> and I'll take a hug any way I can get it. Did she stand at the door and say, Oh, almost high and exalted grandfather, how will you receive me if I run into your arms? No, no. We have a relationship of love with God. John put it this way. Love has been perfected among us that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. He said there is a day of judgment coming, but when that day comes, those of us who know Christ will run to God. We won't, we won't hide. We won't be scared. We will run to him. We may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. The perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. As we understand who God is and who we are and, and what he has done in our relationship and we get to know him, we, we, we relate to him in love because he wants to relate to us in love. Certainly God is a parent who will do what he needs to do to get us to walk righteously. But as we walk righteously, we have nothing to fear and everything to love. The the next blessing that we understand from this passage is here in verse 16. Not only do we have this spirit of adoption of of him being our daddy, but verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may, may be also glorified together with him. The idea of of being an heir with Christ has to do with our inheritance in heaven. uh, God has chosen to bring us together with Christ in a sense in in which he inherits the whole universe and he is going to share the rule of that universe with us and, and we have an expectation of heaven and of being with him there. And, and part of that blessing, verse 16, is that the Holy Spirit is inside bearing witness with our spirit. Why can we look forward and, uh, to the day of our death and think, I'm going to heaven someday? Why can we be certain about that? We can be certain because it is the Holy Spirit in us giving us certainty. I have been to many hospital rooms where the patients don't expect to recover. And I've seen that certainty. I've heard it in people's voices. I've seen it in their eyes. I've seen it in some of my loved ones and some of yours as we have sent them out to heaven. It doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from us being so strong to hang on to God with all of our might. It comes from God hanging on to us and the Holy Spirit in us, giving us that certainty. The blessings of our peace with God continue in verse 26 when he talks about answered prayer. Likewise, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, helps in our weaknesses, For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. I work at praying according to the Bible. I know that the best prayers come out of God's thoughts, and so I work at that. But as I meditated on this passage again this week, I realized, can I possibly have the mind of God in my prayer? I mean, I can have it from His Word, I know that, but can I see things exactly like He sees it? I can't. But the great blessing of knowing Christ is the whole, it, it doesn't matter. Now, be careful, I'm not saying it doesn't matter how you pray. But what we can be encouraged with is this. When we pray, the Holy Spirit is right there taking that prayer and praying it on to God in a way that comes through to God perfectly. Perfectly. You know, and I would even think of it visually as, as somebody way up high who can see the whole world and see all of time. He can see what's ahead and, and, and what's coming. And as I'm praying for myself or for other people, he takes my prayer and he looks out there and goes, oh, this is. I need to modify this prayer just a little bit and bring it up to God. And the result is, as I pray, I'm, I'm confident that I'm talking to God, that God is hearing, but God is also helping my prayer. What a blessing. One more blessing, the second to the last that I want to look at here. Look in verse 28, this verse that's so familiar to us. And it's the blessing of encouragement in our difficulties Verse 28, he says, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. God is able to make our difficulties matter, to make them useful. There's no such thing as a wasted hardship with God. I may not understand the deer in my headlight." I may not understand some people's poor choices. I may not understand the loss of a job. But I can know that God is weaving the threads of life into a beautiful piece of art that will bring glory to Him. There's no wasted hardship. There's no wasted difficulty. I can rest in what He's doing. I can be encouraged. The last blessing that I want to look at here from Romans 8 is this, a guarantee a guarantee of God's love look at verse 31 what shall we say then it's kind of a summary he starts here what shall we say to these things all these blessings he's been talking about if God is for us who can be against us he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all how shall he not with him also freely give us all things he says if God delivered Christ to the cross to pay for our sins won't he give us everything else Verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect or those who are saved? It is God who justifies, so nobody else can bring a charge in. Who is he that condemns? Is it Christ that died and furthermore is risen, who's even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? He says Christ isn't going to condemn you. He makes intercession for you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? a guarantee. Sue and I bought a shade for our front window five years ago, and it broke. And it has a lifetime guarantee. And after I made uh, a few phone calls, people said, yeah, you take it right over here and we'll fix it for you. Great. Took it over there and they fixed it for me. Goes up and down again, just like it used to. Now, they don't guarantee that the fabric won't wear out from the heat of the sun. And they don't guarantee that the grandkids will never use a toy to poke holes in the shade. And they don't guarantee that nobody will throw a rock through my front window and tear a hole in it that way. So they really don't give you a lifetime guarantee on the shade. They give you a guarantee on part of the shade, a little part that goes up and down. God's guarantee is absolute, rock solid, no exclusions. No exclusions. What shall separate you from the love of God? Nothing. Nothing. When you believe in Christ as your Savior, you come into God's family. The Apostle John quoted Christ as saying, we come into Christ's hands and Christ is in God's hands and you can't be much more secure than that. It is a guarantee of God's love now as we come back to Matthew chapter 5 I want you to understand that we've been talking about understanding the blessings of peacemaking these are the blessings that we know in our salvation and as we begin to think about taking those blessings to other people we also understand that not only is salvation a blessed thing but it's also a singular thing there is a singular path to peace, and it's described for us here in Colossians 1. For it pleased the Father that in him, in Jesus, all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile, to make peace by him whether with all things, whether on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. We get this great blessing of reconciliation through the blood of Christ, through the death of Christ on the cross. There's one way to having peace with God, and that's through salvation in Christ. I was in a neighborhood store in Tuckwilla once getting a Diet Coke or something, and Somebody came in to ask the clerk for directions. They said, I'm trying to get to such and such a place. And I heard them talking, and the clerk said, I don't know. So I said, oh, I can tell you. You know, you go right down here, you turn there, so on, so on, so on. You know, there you go. Felt real, real helpful there. They got in their car and drove away, and I'm finishing getting my pop, and I thought, "Uh uh-oh. I told them one wrong turn. And instead of sending them down into the commercial part of Tuckwell, I sent them right up into the neighborhood. They're probably still driving around up there. <laughs> now, it's possible to get where they wanted to go the way that I told them. However, they would have had to figure out a lot of bad directions and come up with some new solutions to get there. When we think about people making it to heaven, there's only one set of directions, and there is no plan B. There is no, oh, I made a wrong turn here. That's okay. I'll just keep going and I'll figure it out as I go. There is no plan B. There is one set of directions, and that set of directions is right here. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the blood of his cross, God said, We're sinners we're bound for hell under condemnation, but I will put Christ to death and his sacrifice will pay for your sins. And and that singular way is, is stressed even more here when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Is there more than one way to peace with God? No. Is there more than one way to rest as you face eternity? No. Is there more than one way to be at peace about the circumstances in life? No. There's one way. Now, for most of you, I've been sharing a review of a lot of good truth today. But here's the point at which Jesus starts to preach to us, and it's this. Peacemakers value others as much as self when it comes to the issue of salvation and peace with God, you know this verse you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It occurred to me this week that Jesus didn't say, Don't do those things that are needful for yourself, especially when it comes to salvation. Would Jesus have you share the message of salvation with somebody else but not take it to yourself? Oh, absolutely not. He says, love other people the way you love yourself. And so my question this morning is this. Do you appreciate your salvation? Are you glad as you think about the blessings that we just talked about? Are you you joyful over forgiveness Are you joyful over the certainty of heaven? Are you joyful to have assistance with your prayers? Are you thankful for the encouragement in difficulties? Are you happy to have a guarantee of God's love? Are you happy that salvation comes through Christ and that you don't have to work for it and wonder about it? Jesus said, Do you want to be blessed? Be a peacemaker. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who made of himself no reputation, taking the form of bondservant. This passage, of course, talks about Christ in eternity past. As he looked forward at the work of salvation, he had a decision to make, if you will. And the decision was, do I love heaven and the worship of the angels, and the worship of those people who do believe in God on earth, do I love that so much and this glorious existence that I will not go to earth. Or as I look at all of this and look what could be accomplished, will I set aside the glory that I have in heaven? And will I take on a human body? And will I live through the difficulties of 33 years on earth? And will I grow up and die on the cross? And of course, the answer to those questions are all, yes, I will do that. Jesus did that. So Jesus is the original and the source of all of our peacemaking. If he hadn't come, there would be no peace available. But he calls us to the same kind of self denial and the same kind of putting others in that place of, of effort. Look out not only for your own interest, but also the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. So at Christmas time. We're thinking about what are we going to get for the kids? What are we going to get for the grandkids? What are we going to do with the decorations in the house? What are we going to have for dinner? What are we going to do uh, with crazy Uncle Phil? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We've got all this stuff we're working on. And this is our own interest. Okay, God doesn't say it's wrong to have your own interest. But the challenge he brings is, will you care for others as much as you care for yourself? Will you say, I wonder what these other people, where they're at in their relationship with God. In in 2 Corinthians, God sums it up this way. All things are of God who has reconciled us, us who are already believers to himself through Jesus Christ, and he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. I know full well that God is the one who saves people, not me. But He has given me this word and told me to go down and take people by the hand and bring them together with Him as much as I can serve as that middleman. And so He wants us to take someone else's hand and help them be reconciled to God. So, what does it mean to be a peacemaker? We're peacemakers when we bake cookies and take them to those who may be living in loneliness and say, God loves you. And here's a place where you can come and find out about that love. We're peacemakers when we help children understand Bible verses in the Iwana group. And we we sit with them and we say, this is what it means that Jesus died for your sin. And we're there... You know, I wish you would have the mental image when you go to Awana that you've got a hold of God's hand and you're trying to get some of these kids by the hand and bring them together. You are standing between God and man. Now, I know there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. I understand that. But I also understand that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We're to be peacemakers. We're peacemakers when we help people apply God's word to their life. If we're in a casual discussion with somebody and they're trying to figure out what to do, and you say, this, is, this would be God's wisdom for you. We're peacemakers when we teach our children how to get along with others based on God's truth. We're peacemakers when we admit our wrong and ask forgiveness so that there might be peace between people as well as between us and God. We're peacemakers when we ask others to, to confront their own wrong and make things right with God and man. We're peacemakers when we witness to our friends and neighbors of the truth of God. We're peacemakers when we act like Christ as we live our life day by day so that others might see that and be drawn to God. We're peacemakers when we stop repeating wrongs and help heal relationships. We're peacemakers when we speak the gospel so that people can believe in Christ and become children of God. One commentator put it this way, the believer who is practicing this verse is not only passively peaceful, like the meek, who keep the peace, but they are actively peaceful. I love that phrase. Actively peaceful by endeavoring to help others know peace from God. Another commentator put it this way, when self is first, peace is last. It is always easier to stay uninvolved. It's always easier to stay uninvolved. One of, the, one of the good things that's happened in our American culture since the 9-11 attack of 2001 is that people have realized, I, I have to do something. There are times when I have to do something. I can't just do nothing. You know, the famous words from Todd Beamer about, let's take this plane and stop it from being used. You know, let's roll. And here they go, and they stopped a terrorist attack, uh, stopped part of it. People have said, hey, I can't be uninvolved. And so we hear stories regularly, some guy who chases down someone that shot some people and he gets shot along the way, but he, he gets a hold of the criminal and he holds him until the cops come. And people are, are, are starting to say, I have to get involved. The question lies, for us, lies there for us as Christians. Will I get involved in the work of peacemaking? Will I be involved helping unbelievers know God? Will I be involved helping believers know God better? Will I help them maintain their peace with God? Will I help people come to peace with God? It's always easier to stay uninvolved. When you share the gospel, some people will reject it. And you'll think, man, I don't want to do that again. When you try to help someone conquer the sin that keeps them from God, some people will become angry with you. When you try to help two people repair a relationship, they may both get angry with you because you refuse to take a side. It's always easier to be uninvolved. It's always easier to not do some things for the Lord, but that never results in a changed life. That never results in pleasant memories of a life well lived, and it doesn't gain the Lord's approving words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Look back with me at Matthew 9, or excuse me, Matthew 5 again, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. Why are they blessed? Because they they will be called the sons of God. The word that's used for son here is different than the word for child or children. The word for son in the in the time of the Bible conveyed the idea that you had you had the standing of an heir with your family you were you were the uh the more significant child I'll put it that way. Just to be a child could mean you're just descended from them, but this means you've got sonship rights. and he says, when you work as a peacemaker. It shows that you are connected to God in a significant way. John 1.12 says those who received, God as, who received Christ as Savior, God gave them the right to become his sons. Why does the ministry of peacemaking demonstrate our heritage as children of God? I think it's because of this verse right here. That is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. In other words, you want to be like God? Be a peacemaker. Famous Christmas verse, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He brought peace through his sacrifice, and we bring that peace to people through our service. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. God wants us to live in peace and he reached across eternity and sent the Savior so we could be born again. And he wants us now to take that to other people. This last week there was a terrible story of uninvolvement. This fellow here got pushed onto the tracks. And that train came and hit him and killed him. While people stood there, wow, look at that. While a guy got his camera and took a picture. He was a newspaper photographer. That was his job. And you think, wow. It, it, you'd hope that in this picture, there would at least be somebody getting a hold to him, trying to get him up. Maybe they can't do it in time. Maybe they aren't strong enough. Maybe it doesn't work. But it appears... And what actually happened was, nobody tried. That's tu problema. It is his problem, not mine. Many people have criticized the photographer for not putting his camera down, trying to go help the guy. There are a lot of other people standing around too. There are a lot of people standing around Ferndale, too. You're going to be a peacemaker? You're going to invest your life in saying, How can I help people live at peace with God and at peace with one another? Heavenly Father, help us. It's so easy to become self absorbed, it's so easy to become all about our own stuff. Help us. Help us not only to look at our own things, but also to look out for the interests of others who need to come to you. Help us be your peacemakers. Let us see some precious souls, some of your other sheep that you are trying to reach. Let us see them come to you, and let us be involved with that. We love you, and we thank you for putting peace in our hearts. Help us to share that with others. I pray in Christ's name, amen.